Who do you think you are? That's the brief series that we're having in August. Who do you think you are? See if you can spot. There are two uh, descriptions here, at least, that is unique for Christian people. So, 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, under the heading, Living Stones and a Chosen People. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. And we could read there, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation and so on. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And would you please turn to the book of Revelation as well, just to um, Revelation chapter 1 and uh, the verses 4 to 6. Revelation 1, last book of the Bible, 4 to 6. John now the aged apostle, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins, by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Last Sunday evening, this time last Sunday, from 6.30 till uh, for 50 minutes, what was that, 6.30? Anyway, 
We attended Evensong in uh, Wimbledon in St. Mary's the Virgin. And uh, there were ten members of a robed choir, um, a vicar, and a lay reader. Both the vicar and the lay reader were women who were leading the service, and there were 14 of us in the congregation. It was uh, Evensong, and it was the set a common book of prayer, and quite uh, refreshing, though in some of the responses it was quite tricky when you're not used to it. Um, but if I was to ask the vicar that night, not only uh, who are you, but what are you doing, she could literally and rightfully say, I am, and she probably would say, I am a priest at God's altar. She was uh, at the end of the service, didn't say, we'll share the grace. She held her hands up and made a priestly sign to pronounce the grace. She was seeing herself as a priest. Last Wednesday, uh, BBC One, 9 p.m., if you saw it, I didn't, but I've uh, cut out the introduction. There's a new series called, Who Do You Think You Are?, it's a very popular, and it's, a, it's a, a, not just a repeat, but um, an extension of that. And the actor or actress, uh, Samantha Warmuck, who uh, used to be at EastEnders, uh, opens this series looking for clues as to the lineage of her troubled, very uh, sensitive and uh, gifted father, who is a musician, who took his own life three years ago. And tracing the lineage which the Bible does quite frequently, now has become very popular. There was a series years ago called Roots, where people were interested in their background, where they came from, what were their family connections. Some were surprised and others were rather disappointed. Um, don't dig too far. Who do you think you are? Well, if we look at the Old Testament of the Old Covenant we would see that God's people had a priesthood. They had a priesthood. And if you were born into the family of Levi, the Levitical family, chances are, because you have to be male, uh, that you could, in the course of time, become a priest. If you were born into the Aaronic priesthood and you were male, then chances are that you could be a priest. In the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood. And as I've illustrated, in some churches today, they still have a priesthood, what we sometimes call the higher high church. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, there is this massive change. Instead of God's people having a priesthood now, and from the two readings we've had, God's people are a priesthood. We are part of the kingdom of priests who are to serve our God. Now, there's a massive distinction there. I'm not here to criticize the high church or the, the Roman Catholic church. But nevertheless, there is a massive distinction. If you're a Christian, you're a priest. You're part of the kingdom of of priests, and that, of course, is the reference. Let me read it again so that uh, it makes you uh, see the connection in, in our reading in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood. Who do you think you are? You are a priest at God's altar, part of the worship of God's people, offering spiritual sacrifices. Out of the Reformation came this phrase, the priesthood of all believers. All believers are priests. By that we mean all believers have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. And there are references. Perhaps we could just look at one, just for the purpose. Just turn over a few pages towards the New Testament direction and come to Hebrews 10. And you will see Hebrews 10, 19. It's a call to persevere. And uh, in verse 19 of Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, because of him, through him, uniquely, what can we do? Verse 22, let us draw near to God. No, med- no intermediaries now, directly, personally, ourselves. Let us draw near to God. It's incumbent upon us, of course, to have a, a, a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and so on. Verse 23, let's hold fast, hold swervingly to the hope that we profess uh, and so on and so forth. So that's our calling. We have, we have a God-given right by grace to have access to God through Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. Interestingly, the, the teaching and the pendulum swing as far as uh, rejection of a great deal of Roman Catholic teaching. Um, so it gave birth to the Protestant church. The church is protesting against the extremities of the established church. But all pendulums often swing too far, whether that's in church history, whether it's in family life, or whether it's in politics or society. Not all bankers are evil, but you would question. I'm not here to defend bankers, but, you know, listen on the news. They've all been tarred with the same breath. That happens. Lots of things like that. Let's take an obvious example. The Catholics have obviously made too much of Mary. Some Catholic teaching, she's the Queen of Heaven. And they pray to her and through her, sometimes even more than they would to the Lord Jesus. Now that is clearly wrong. But does that give us as Protestants the right, if they have deified Mary, for us to demonize her? To treat her as if with almost disdain. You see what I'm saying? You, You get that. Catholics will light a candle. We say, well, there's no way a candle's coming into our church because it's, it's Catholic. And, okay, you know what I'm saying. So we have to be aware of pendulums, emotional, theological, political, or otherwise. Yet, through this reaction and rejection came the Reformed Church, the Protestant Church. And whatever else, the faults of the pendulum being a bit extreme, which it was, Nevertheless, it brought back something that the church had lost. And it is this. This idea of the priesthood of all believers. It's a return to scripture. Now, clearly, 
uh, let's try to stay with this for a moment. We are not all pastors. However, we should all be pastoral with each other. We shouldn't be dictatorial or critical or harsh with each other. It's not only pastors need to do that. We need to do that. We're not called to be pastors. We are called to be pastoral. And that ought to be a unique feature of our relationship together. We're not all called to be evangelists. But we should all give a reason for the hope that we have. We're not all called to be teachers. But we should know what we believe. You see what I'm saying? However, we are all priests. We're all priests. And so, in verse 5, as we've, as we've read, um, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay. We're all priests. We've established that. Male and female, all priests. Priests, what do priests do? I mean, some priests have had, rightly, have had bad press. For a while, even in southern Ireland, the priests didn't go out wearing their clerical collars because even their own constituency used to criticize them and call them hypocrites and, and perverts and so on. Because of the reaction of abuse and extremities. Yet we are priests. And what's the role of a priest? Well, to bring God to people and to bring people to God. To be the link. Or as it is given here, perhaps the best way. We are a people belonging to God our priestly role is this, that we declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When you do that, you're a priest. That high and holy calling. And we're to offer spiritual sacrifices. Our worship isn't simply to be a ritual. And we are to intercede uniquely. To pray for people and to pray with, with empathy like our Lord Jesus. So, from these verses, we can draw out a couple of things. The first is this. We can say that as priests, therefore, we are called to be holy. We're not called to be odd or oddballs or difficult. We are called to be holy, to be distinctive. And the one thing anybody will know, if they are aware of this high and holy calling, is this. That though we are priests, we need constant cleansing. Even in the old covenant, when the high priest only once at the day of atonement and once in his entire life would go into the Holy of Holies. He had to make sacrifices for himself. We who have been drawn close to God, know our imperfections. The people who are the furthest away from him know least their imperfection. And therefore we need to confess 
our sins. And so it's not surprising, therefore, that uh, coming, if you've got 1 Peter 2 open in front of you, here is the challenge to Christian people, not to the world now. Look, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, Christian people, what are you to do? Well, we are to rid ourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. It can be the blight of a priesthood, can't it? Envy and slander of every kind. What are we to be like? Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It is a call for us to grow in holiness. Not to be people who are so easily offended and, and go in the huff and, and, and start sulking, like, behaving like children. To be holy is to be rounded, to be mature, to be godly. And we, we of all people have to confess that we constantly need cleansing. We might say from time to time, you know, I have a bad habit of gossiping about people. I've really got to stop that. That's not good enough. I'm terrible about envying other people. You know, I put people down so easily. I can do it without thinking. But I find it hard to say sorry. That sort of thing. We of all people, if we are going to take this seriously as priests, that we are to be holy. The second thing, as priests, we are to be sacrificial, or we are to share in sacrifices. Look again at, at verse 5. We're living a sacrificial life. What does it cost you to be a Christian? Anything? Think about it. Verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Look at this. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sacrifices, by definition, are costly. They are costly. We are to give continuous sacrifices. You know the classic verse, isn't it? From Romans 12, 2. Therefore, present your bodies as, as a living offering, a sacrifice, pleasing your spiritual worship. So, as a priest, we are to be holy. As priests, we are to be sacrificial. The first, constant cleansing. I need cleansing. Second, I need to offer continuous sacrifices. And thirdly, as priests, we are to declare these praises. We are to proclaim. It's, it's an interesting um, verse, and I would really like you to turn to this in Romans. I wonder if you've noticed this. Uh, in Romans um, 15 and verse 16. It's a very, it's a fascinating verse to me in the light of this sermon, in the light of our calling. Just think about it for a moment. Here is Paul speaking to the Gentiles. What do Gentiles know about being a priest? Only the Jews do. Ah, but here's, a, here's the introduction of the gospel to Rome. And he, in, the book of Romans is called Paul's magnum opus. He raises many issues. But look in verse 15. And chapter 15. I have written you quite boldly on some points. That's an understatement, isn't it? As if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. Look at this. To be a minister of Christ Jesus. Yes, I can live with that. To the Gentiles with the priestly duty. Now, normally you would think the priestly duty to pray and so on and forth. But here he links the priestly duty to proclaim that priests are to be preachers. 
It's people who talk about Jesus. Proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, the pagans, as Peter refers to them here, might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's a fascinating verse. Maybe you haven't noticed it before. Well, there it is. As priests, we are to declare the praises. We are to be proclaiming. And we need a constant, a current proclamation. If we, were, if we give an account of our, what we call our testimony. Is it fresh? Is it up to date? If somebody says to you, tell me about your Savior, can you say something this week? Or do you have, do you have to go back a long time? That's the point. Is, in other words, it's a very personal question. I ask myself, and it's this. Is your experience, is our experience of the Lord Jesus past its sell-by date? Out of date? Well, that's the question, isn't it? But we are priests. The priesthood of all believers. That's an important question as we think about this. Is my experience, my encounter with the Lord Jesus current? Or is it out of date? Well, let's conclude. The application, if it isn't obvious already. Just three things. The application surely is that we are called to live a clean life. We are not perfectionists. You'll know, of course, I've given this before. A perfectionist is somebody defined a perfectionist, somebody who takes great pains and gives them to other people. We're not, we don't want to do that. There's enough of those about. But surely, we want to live a clean life. That's why we met, had an encounter at the Lord's table this morning. That's why we were to borrow from David the psalmist who wrote the great psalm. says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. We are to live a clean life. We can't be perfect. We can be clean. And we live out our faith before a watching world. And that is always a big challenge. And we need to say to people, you know, I'm not perfect, but Jesus has forgiven my sins. I can guarantee you they've got plenty to forgive too. Live a clean life. Here's a challenge, and you, you get that in verse 10. And here's, here's a challenge then uh, from verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. There's often the battle of the soul, isn't there? So we are to give no grounds for slander. When you think of the bad press that some priests, there are obviously good, godly priests. But when you think about that, or think sometimes of the, the rigidity, the arrogance sometimes of the evangelical church, we are to give no grounds for slander. The most convincing defense is the silent integrity of Christian character. When the famous uh, philosopher Plato, in a very critical period among his colleagues, was told that certain men were making slanderous charges against him. Plato's response was, Then I will live in such a way 
that no one will believe what they say? Or would he want to go on his soapbox and defend himself? It's the principle we say, is it? I think sometimes it's our pride, if the truth be told. We are to live a clean life. We are to give no grounds for slander. How quick we are, sometimes too quick, to defend the charges. Let our great high priest be our defender. And lastly, life is short. And so you see from verse 12, as the chapter comes to a conclusion, live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see Notice, they don't hear what you say. They see who you are, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do good things among unbelievers that they might say, I want that. That makes me think there must be more to this life. Do good among unbelievers. And, by the way, our good things should not be limited to our family. You know how some people pray, God bless me and my family and nobody else. It's rather pitiful, isn't it? It really is. Our good deeds should not be limited to the family of God. should be extended to those outside of the family. You know, what makes... What makes the story of the Good Samaritan so absolutely compelling is the merciful deeds that were done on behalf of a total stranger. I want to say this. One of the things that Hannah and I tried to do for the last 30 years, particularly to invite people to our home who can't repay. You know, some people live rather pathetic lives to say, well, if I invite you, then you've got to come. And they're locked into that. And it's a sterile existence. What a good thing to invite people who can't. They're passing through. They're on a journey. And what a blessing to them. And they'll go to the four corners of the world. Many of you do that as well. And rightly so. Do you see the point? Do good to, the, to those unbelievers, to your family, to the household of faith, and to extend that. And that's the genius of the Good Samaritan. And of course, what did Jesus say? Go and do thou likewise. The merciful deeds were done on behalf of a total stranger. I hope that we are people who do good before the watching world. And the world is watching. And we would long that more and more people will put their trust in the Lord Jesus. What are you? You are a priest at God's altar. Together now, let's pray. Let's do that. And just to take a moment as the Lord has spoken to us, to try to focus on something that is particular to us and not to be afraid to apply it where we are.